Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest to take a little wander into their life. This week, I'm stomping with Grace Beverly. Grace is the founder of sustainable activewear brand Tala and workout app Shreddy. She's also the author of Working Hard, Hardly Working, a book-turned-podcast that claims to help its readers and listeners to adopt a healthy work-life balance with a productivity method Grace created while studying at Oxford University. Grace rose to fame as a content creator on YouTube and Instagram. Between her studies, Grace would upload videos about her experience as a student at Oxford but also her fitness routines. Little did she know that this content would end up paving the way for her businesses, which in turn would see her being named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Pretty impressive. Grace is passionate about sustainability, equality and women in business, so I'm sure we're going to have a really interesting conversation. Before I dive into this conversation with Grace, I want to remind everyone that my manual is now available. I've learned so much over the last 30 years of my life, professionally, personally, from the Stompcast, meeting all my guests, to visiting young people, and of course, learning from experts. Everything that I believe you need to improve your mental health is in the Mind Manual. Get yourself a copy now. I think you'll find it helps. Welcome to the Stompcast. It is absolutely blowing a gale. Uh, we have momentarily taken shelter because it is quite literally gale force winds out there. So thank you for braving the storm. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Apart from being battered by the British weather, it's very authentic. Yes, I guess it is. Look, we record. This is the thing. The Stompcast, we do generally try and record in all weathers, but I'm just really hoping for some more sunny days. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Um, I know, you're, you know you are a very busy person. Uh, as I read out your introduction, I mean, you've achieved lots of different things. This is not the diary of the CEO, so I'm very much more interested in kind of, yeah, just just kind of learning lessons from you, I think, more generally in life and kind of your journey and things that you've learned and finding out a bit more of the personal side of you, Cass. And from all the things that you've done so far, what what is like, what's your most proudest moment so far? What is What are you most proud of? Um, I think... Is this in term, would you, would you prefer in terms of like work things or non-work Anything. things? I because wanted, I feel I like when you say work thing, then it's like, oh. You could be most proud of your, of your dog, your beautiful little dog. <laughs> it could be anything. What are you, what pops your mind? Um, I think what does pop to mind is, um, so for people who don't know about um, raising investment, raising funding mm-hmm. um, for a business, um, it's very, very hard. Um, it's very difficult to get the right types of investment. But on top of that, um, in the UK, 1% of funding goes to women-owned mm. businesses. So um, to translate that for people who... That's unbelievable, it, it? It's the most... I, I think 1%. people are like, oh, 1%. And then imagine in any other industry, if 99% of it was going to specifically me, like men yeah. in the workplace, that would be... I mean, that would be talked about everywhere. If you think that every single business is started from entrepreneurship mm. to some extent like well to to a very large extent the majority of businesses are started from entrepreneurship and if 
99% of that funding is going to men, then we've got a real, real issue. That obviously, that issue gets bigger when you think about the fact that women are proven to hire many, many more women as well, especially into leadership positions because, you know, things like maternity leave will phase us less, etc., etc. Not that they should at all. Oh, thank you. Tea We're arrival. Tea <laughs> arrived. Oh, that's perfect. No worries. Anything hot. That's perfect. We have um, guys on the stock We're very much warming uh, Grace up because she is captured. She's been stormed upon. She's arrived. So we provide love and care on the stock as well as the um, guests on. So yeah, I. That's all to say that I. So we closed our first investment round for Tala, which is a sustainable activewear company that I founded about. Well, nearly four years ago now, uh, we raised a funding round of $5.7 million, um, which closed in de December 2021. Um, and I almost don't want to be proud of that because I don't want the stats to be so bad. I'm proud of having raised in that environment and got venture capital funding to do that because that is no easy feat no. at all. Um, but I'm not proud of the stat that makes it so difficult. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'd love for that to change. I think when you really think about how problematic that is, it's kind of like, why, why is this nowhere? Mm. It feels like such a niche that mm. people then end up not talking about because like, not everyone's an entrepreneur, sure, but everyone works for a business that was once founded by an sure. entrepreneur. So if 99%, like how are we gonna get close to gender? Like what, what do you think the barriers equity? are? It's an interesting perspective because, you know, um, uh, for in a kind of the NHS, we've seen a huge shift and right. change. Right. We're now, um, I think, in I think of medical students going in, it's more like 60% women yeah. and 40% men. It's kind of half and half ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the past, most surgical roles were all men, most leadership roles were all men. There's been, I think, a huge change. I'm not saying it's all solved, so far from it. There's, there's plenty of issues at NHS yeah, yeah, that we yeah. could spend a whole day on. But there's been a big shift. Why has the business world be so late to change? Why? Because that feels like if you're saying one, I mean that's yeah. that's crazy. No, no, it's that's, archaic. That's it's like terrible. Why is that, um, why is that I think so slow to change? There are many, many barriers. I think one of the biggest issues is it's not talked about. It's seen as a niche. It's seen as like, you know, whereas in medicine, rightly so, it should be talked because it affects all of us. But so does entrepreneurship. But it feels like just a vocational effect. So it feels like it will only affect you if you're an entrepreneur. Obviously, the effects of it. Are far wider reaching than that, not least because, you know, women traditionally start, um, you know, or are more likely to start companies that will also, if you usually start a company because you want to solve a problem, you're more likely to start a company that would solve a problem that a woman would face if you are right. a woman. Okay. Sorry, that was yeah, very, yeah. very no, complicated no, the way I was saying that. Yeah. Um, and so even things like that, like where are we going to get the tech that we need? Where are we going to start? I mean, even if, if you look at something like medicine, so, I mean, women weren't allowed in clinical trials until 1993. Like, as in, that's, like, until things start getting talked about, it's very, very difficult to see it as an issue that people, that, you know, investment firms need to be changing. Um, and I also think the onus is a lot on women. So people are more likely to give money or help to people who are like them. So in this example, men would be more likely to be investing in men, women would be more likely to be investing in women. However, there's a huge wealth gap when it comes to men and women as well. So, so in terms of the money holding... that you could invest, yeah, sure. like as in we're like, you know, women angel investors, there are nowhere near as many as there are men. Um, there's also way fewer um, women on investment committees. So the people who make the decisions to who to invest in, um, it's probably like a STEM interest as well. So we know that obviously in STEM subjects, there's a weighting that 
you know, away from women in terms of who takes it up. So it's probably seen as like more scary in terms of like all of these different things. And so I think it's kind of like a perfect storm. And I think there are lots of changes to make. So I don't think it's right to put the onus purely on women, but I as a woman <laughs> will happily kind of, you know, take my part in putting more money into women owned businesses. Um, but again, I think it's, I mean, it's all uh, the way it's seen. I think the way we look at women owned businesses, we look at like a small, artisanal candle company which is great like it's amazing and I love candles and I love like I love that but actually where's the like tech where's the like huge clothing companies where's the huge like any of these things that actually we see women in business as like a oh that's adorable like a, a knitting company yeah. like which has so much but do, do you see what I, I mean, mean in terms of the it's interesting because as you're describing that so in and, and there are still very much challenges for women in in medicine it's more about the spe certain specialties become very male right like orthopedics for example they're trying sure. to crack that and it changes are being made what's interesting is that um in medicine now it used to be the case that you go right i've got a spot in cardiology right for a new trainee and you know john would ring up his mate dave and say oh do you know someone yeah i've got this guy's working for me he's a great sure. person whereas it was kind of referred so almost what you're saying there is like people will recognize someone else think that they're kind of like them and get them training often men would get men recruited whereas now the system is such that it's all done on points and and into they're trying to remove those kind of barriers but i guess in the private world it's much more difficult because you don't have you know i've got those infrastructures in place yeah, to kind and of correct those or begin to correct those yeah sure and public sector will always be quite slow because there's yeah. obviously a huge amount of bureaucracy that goes into making any decision but also when there's no mandates to have to change things sure, like yeah, private yeah. companies don't need to sure. disclose things um, and same with you know something like investment I mean as a whether you're a man or a woman it's terrifying going for your first investment round because you have no idea who to go to where to go what to say like what your pitch deck should look like etc etc yeah. which is what I've spent a huge amount of time trying to I mean, I, I can't level the playing field by any means on a wider sense, but what I can do is show, you know, I did, for example, like an hour and a half long YouTube video going through every single slide of my pitch deck and yeah, why yeah. we chose that slide, why we structured it yeah. that way, why we made the concentration on those numbers, just to hopefully, mm. even for like one person, alleviate mm. the terrifyingness mm. of being like, oh, I need to do this and I have mm. no idea how. how. What's the reaction been like in terms of, um, I guess, leading, but anyway, it's, it's clear that you're very proud of doing that. And I guess, you know, really kind of trying to, be at the front of making that, that change. Mm. What has the reaction been from women, but also what's the reaction been from men? Have you had good and bad reactions? You know, I, I guess I mean, generally women would hopefully be really supportive, yeah, but I hope yeah. men would be as well. But like, what's the kind of different reactions you Well, have? I think it's, I mean, social media in general, you're going to get all sorts of reactions. And I um, delight in all of the things that come into my inbox. Uh, but yeah. I, yeah, so that, that's hell. <laughs> as a, that, social media is, a, it's, a, it's interesting. It's like you drop a pebble into a bucket and, and all of the water reacts. And therefore <laughs> yeah. you, get, you get that ripple effect and you'll get every type reaction you can yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. from the, the sensible that's very true. I think what's really interesting is when you talk about, um, and I'm sure some people listening to this podcast will be like, oh, for fuck's sake, well, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. all about women. And I completely, I completely agree. I think the whole, something like this, it's not a, you know, I've got a few DMs that have essentially, essentially kind of been, you know, like, what's with the anti-male sentiment? And it's kind of so telling to see an equity or equality conversation seen as anti the the yeah. majority party like that that's it's just quite so an irony in that yeah thing, as yeah. in like that's not you know leveling the playing field I mean you'll you'll mm. talk about this a lot but when we talk about the harm that the patriarchy has in a lot of these senses it harms men a huge yeah. amount as well like the expectation that um, 
you know, I've talked before about the fact that, you know, I'm told a lot on social media to work less or like talk about work less. And I'm not sure, (laughs) I may be wrong, I don't think I am. Um, I'm not sure that a man in my situation who'd, you know, there there are many men in my situation, there are many women in my situation, but who've, um, you know, raised a huge amount of money, taken millions of other people's money and essentially are on a cycle to return that money in, you know, however many multiples. I'm not sure anyone's messaging them being like work less. I think it's the perception that as a, that my work must be less important because it's seen as like, as in we expect men to work and provide and be these like shining beacons of like business and all of this like that's also harmful i kind of called it out and i was like i find it really interesting that anyone even thinks that they have the authority to say that i think from a caring point of view sure but from a kind of um interest or what you're perpetuating point of view it seems strange um but then you know i remember responding to a kind of dm that i was like this harms men just as much as it does women like the the very fact that the entire onus is on i mean it's not the entire onus is not on men to work but like as in you know when you're saying that when someone might go to a doctor for stress and they're kind of like oh work less you know we know that women are told far more to that it must be anxiety and they must be stressed and it must be working less and there's almost like the underlying perception that a woman's work must be able to be dialed down like because it's not the kind of provisional so, you know, like you're not the sure. one providing for the family, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So deeply ingrained. And the thing, that, the reason I'm kind of really interested in that perspective is that it really, and I think the point that you made is, is important, if you, even if, if we just part from a clear importance and yeah. why women should have mm. e- equity as mm. well as equality in this area, um, for men, it's kind of rather short-sighted and stupid to not realise the benefits of having oh, a yeah. similarly yeah, yeah, yeah. equal boardroom or so on. Because, you know, again, I, I, refer, I go look back to, you know, being in the hospital, you the best team has one of everyone right, one of sure. everything yeah. every kind of skill you want neuro- neurotypical you want neurodivergent you want people yeah, yeah, with yeah. Who, the people who are impulsive the people that are calm you want the people you've got all the kind of different personality types and yes of course men and women multiple men and women can be very very similar but we, we're all different as an individual as a person and women will often have differences that maybe men will have and when you put the balance of it together and you have lo- lots of different personality types from different backgrounds, from different genders, you end up with a, with a more of a balanced team in right, that sense, sure. don't you? You don't want the repeat, like if you've got a, a full surgical team at orthopedics, who are all exactly the same kind of person, same background, same gender, yeah. same opinions, you're all looking at an x-ray, they're all gonna come out with the same answer, no one's gonna yeah. come from a different angle. And I think that that's the real shame, is that you're not only on an individual on the basis of women having, in terms of improving business or actually the product oh, yeah. of the country, you're stifling it by having the same type people all of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's you see it in politics, actually. Yeah, yeah, well. 100%. It's exactly that. It's like how some of the things even get out to be said in politics, and you're like, you clearly had no one in that room. Yeah, people <laughs> like, come from the in, same schools, the yeah, same backgrounds. Yeah, 100%. So, I, in my opinion, I, I would love to see government having one bin man, one doctor, one person for business, one per- my point is one type of every person because then you're going to have everyone with a different opinion and hopefully between all of your different opinions you come out to the right answer or whatever. Sure, no I is. think I think um, diversity of thought is in- and, and obviously a background is incredibly 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 important and I think that without if you're the change cannot come about through people thinking they're doing charity by including the you know yeah, the, uh, women or whatever whatever it might be or kind of people from any background you have to genuinely it has to genuinely be from a basis of, of believing that you are enriching your mm. capacity mm. or your output or whatever it might be 
by diversifying that thought. How like, do you avoid tokenism then? Because that's a big mm. topic of conversation um, at the moment is that people should be and deserve to be appreciated for who they are and what they bring oh, to the yeah. table. Yeah, so yeah. how do you, how do you, like, because I mean, you've, you've got lots of different arms of that your businesses and, you know, from Tala to Freddie and so on. How, how, how do you make sure that you do practice what you're saying, what you preach and what you talk about and make sure that you're adding those key members from different Yeah, areas. yeah, I think it is incredibly important. I think that it exactly is like what we need to be talking about in terms of, you know, avoiding tokenism, in terms of avoiding lip service, in terms of, you know, we've always talked about, for example, you know, from the day we launched Tala, we launched with a 10 person campaign and we made sure that, you know, it was way more than we could afford at the time. We just, we wanted to make sure that if you came to our page, even in our first launch, you were seeing someone that by some yeah. means you could relate to. Which and of course amazing. we can't, Which you know, tick every box, but it's not even about ticking every box. It's kind of like, just like how have we expected for, even when you're talking about something like size diversity, how have we expected for so long that someone who's a size 16 can shop from a size six body? Yeah. Like how, like you cannot even see that as like wanting to, as, as I said before, like wanting to do charity for that, you know, for size inclusivity. Yeah. It's not about that. It's genuinely like, how can you expect someone yeah. to come to your site and know how to shop your clothes yeah. if all they're shopping from is a size six body? It's so like true, it isn't actually it? does not make so sense true. at Do all. People think know? the average. I think it was. I saw something before. Yeah. So they, they did say, what's the average size? And everyone was saying like size eight or whatever. And it's no, actually no, was no. it fourteen? Yeah, or yeah. 16 so we did a campaign. We just did a campaign on this, and because we um, just expanded our size range from a um, essentially to a, we now go from two XS to four XL. And that was incredibly important for us and the whole project took about two and a half years for us to be able to afford it, for us to be able to do it properly. We wanted to do it not just kind of timesing our sizes by whatever. We wanted to have focus groups, we wanted to have loads of fit sessions, we wanted to have like surveys, like all of this. It ended up being a huge project because we wanted to do it right and didn't want to do it tokenistically. And in our launch in our campaign video, if you go onto my page, it's one of the, actually go onto Tala's page, it's one of the pinned posts. Yeah. And it is, you know, it starts by saying, did you know that the average UK size is a size 16 and 16, only 8% okay. of companies provide above a size 18? Only 8%. Only 8%. So even if you're not looking like, and I absolutely think it is the right thing to be doing, but like, where is your mind? <laughs> because yeah. that only 8%, yeah. like that's, that's shocking, half actually. the population, that. that half the population extent, who yeah. are being told and yelled at and being told to like, go to the gym and do this and do that and not even being given yeah. clothes to do so. Like, are you crazy? I'm six foot three, so I'm probably at a certain end of the spectrum into a height. But like I, my body builds, I'm always like played rugby. I'm never going to be someone who's going to fit into like a medium or whatever. And I find mm. it so interesting, even as a guy, you often can't find, there might be like one or two pairs of the XLs that right. you need, but there's loads of these size smalls and stuff. And you kind of like, who is wearing right. those, these sizes? So even as a guy, I mean, even more so for probably for a girl, but even as a guy you're kind of like yeah it's quite hard sometimes to actually find clothes that fit you especially mm. as someone who maybe is, is taller as well yeah, yeah yeah i mean there's there's so many elements to it but it's about genuinely understanding like why you're making a change and what who you're making it for and what you need to do because i feel like there's so much like half-assing it out there and i'll be the first to say that we can't afford to do everything we want to do like yeah. when i first like the, our first ever website build four years ago i was like i want for you to be able to click the size you want and it show you a model in that size yeah, yeah. like automatically i remember even on the first launch we had we made sure we obviously had like a split across a load of sizes and then the site data just crashed the site because there were too many photos on the site and it was too whatever the technical term yeah, is but yeah. it was completely overloaded <laughs> the whole site yeah, the, whole the whole site glitched and everything messed up um but i you know even like we can't do everything we want to do but there has to be some things that people want to do that are even just like a little bit better than we are now 
And it's so strange to me when there's no, it kind of gets talked about as like a charity decision. Yeah. It's so it's so strange to me. Well, it's, you've evidence there clearly it's not. There's a demand mm. for it. It's not just totally like half the population. Media, yeah. Like why are you that's ba- like? I mean, that's baffling. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, just it's baffling. crazy. So it's clear you're, you're very proud. Your passion comes out. It's very you know even on this cold day, your passion's <laughs> heating up the space and it's coming out. I just wonder, you know, from that that which you've achieved and you're proud of what, what is the kind of next goal is it to continue that challenge or continue in that vein mm. that you're talking now or do you have like a goal that you want to achieve think you know if i achieve that i'd be really proud of that yeah so i'm just sorry really really annoying answer but i'm so goal orientated as a person mm. like i am one of my strengths is really setting my goals and reaching them. So, putting, my planners are so good. Yeah, well, that's exactly one of plan- sixty-five thousand is not something I well, like. Well, I got yeah. up to a seventy-five thousand waitlist. There you go. You know? There you go. There you um, go. But I, I, I will say what I do best is I'm very clear with like what I want and how I want to get there. I will say that what I'm not very good at then doing is I think when you have this kind of you'll know if you're the type of person who's good at goals or not good at goals. And when you're the type of person who's good at goals and you're in this kind of like more, more, more mindset because you're constantly used to moving the goalposts and wanting more. But if you're not defining the points that you're reaching that kind of goal, then you're never, and being able to like actually tick it off, like take a sigh, acknowledge you've done it. I usually, when I get close to that, I start moving the goalposts. And so, what I'm, I've got, I've got some goals and I'll tell you some of them. I want, um, you know, one of my biggest goals is that I think, so Tala, is based entirely off the fact that we believe that people should be able to shop more sustainable options. We're never going to ignore the fact that sustainability in fashion is a complete oxymoron. You consumption is always going to be anti-sustainability, um, but we believe that the norm should not be companies, especially in activewear, that don't even talk about sustainability. Sure. And every single big brand you can name, I promise you, like you would not be able to know what their sustainability statement was. Um, you would not be able to point out the products that had recycled content in them or um, natural fibres or et cetera, et cetera. So Tala's whole aim is to get more sustainable options um, at a competitive price point to non-sustainable equivalents. So we don't believe that people should have to pay two and a half times the price for a pair of leggings for something that is um, more sustainable because then you're just saying people have to pay for the privilege of, um, you know, essentially, exactly. And of course it is more expensive, like it's far more expensive to make our products than it would be to make them non-sustainable. But um, we don't believe that people are ever going to make changes towards consuming better if they aren't given alternatives that are that you know beat the competitors in fit and style and like flatteringness and all of these things so we concentrate a lot on those um many people know tala as the kind of like our main we love flattering gym clothes so like we that is our bread and butter we can make gym clothes that are going to make you feel like yeah. really really great so smash a workout yeah. yeah exactly um we often get messages being like i bought these to go to the gym and now i don't feel like i want to go to the gym because <laughs> i look too good um which is like one of our taglines we use but um one of my big big goals um is about really taking tala to the world mm-hmm. so we want to disrupt the activewear industry we want people to stop having to think that they need to spend a hundred pounds on a pair of leggings if it's going to be made of better materials or spend 30 to 40 pounds on some leggings that like we all know are made in a sweatshop and yet we don't think of activewear as that type of clothing because we see it as essential so got lots and lots of goals with Tala and that's what I spend the majority of my time um, really 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 
working on um, and that's been very exciting um, but my biggest goal is to learn not to essentially to create a life that I don't need a break from in the way that I currently um, you know to take a leaf out of the people who messaging me saying you need to work less I think that I have a job that requires a very high workload um, and you can't take millions of people's money and then not expect to work really hard to pay it back. Um, but I also think that, you know, that's not that's not going to be a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. And I think that I currently work at a pace and a level of kind of like disrespect to my need for rest that I need regular breaks from it for the point that when I like go on holiday, I literally just like stare at the ceiling Collapse, and I literally yeah. cannot, I cannot like even imagine doing anything at all um, and so I'm trying to create more of a essentially practice what I preach. Yeah. I want to pick up actually from one of your goals um, it's really really interesting um, when people talk about sustainability and it felt like five ten years ago everyone was claiming to be sustainable in yeah. almost any any sphere They're like yeah we're sustainable we're sustainable and it was interesting because it sparked a lot of conversation of like what does it actually mean to be sustainable can yeah. people be sustainable like for example I started a business called uh, prescribed we started with bath bombs moved across to candles and things now like if I was to claim that bath bombs are sustainable people would look at me and think that that was crazy because uh -huh. you're, you're putting something in the water it's going in water and the yeah, water yeah, yeah go down the tub so you kind of go well you know is it right to do bath bombs well people have a lot of benefit from relaxing mm. and winding and self-care and they enjoy time for themselves and so on but you know it's so it's so hard and i um who prescribe we use the phrase environment in mind because we i'm aware that we can strive towards things but i cannot yeah. say it's truly sustainable so how, how do we as business and i think it's a really interesting question because i think you are you you know I, I know that you're doing great work with tyler on this so like what what have you learned throughout that and like what can what can you do as businesses but also what can consumers do especially with clothes let's be honest you look at the yeah. wardrobe and think gosh there's so much stuff here that's yeah, consumed. Yeah, yeah. how do we get better as people as well at you know being a bit more sustainable ourselves yeah so i think that there's i mean there's a lot to be said about a lot of those points. I think that it feels like such a minefield and that is because it is such a minefield and I think that the biggest advice I can give to consumers is about breaking down, first of all educate yourself, I think really 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 important. There is, we all kind of have this cognitive dissonance where we we know there are sweatshops, we know there are places we probably shouldn't be shopping from, we know that there are people working in terrible conditions, but it's like really easy for us to ignore that. And marketing makes that really, really easy to ignore and it makes it, you know, it's pretty simple just to be like, ah, well, that's not on my list of so things shiny to care about this week. Yeah. Someone with a smile on their face and buying something exactly. Or like a, just like a one click purchase. Like there is there's so much. And I would say that like the way to break that down and to start making a difference without it needing to kind of change your whole life which ultimately I think a lot of cutting down consumerism does need to and I think that for people who are prepared to do that and who are kind of at that stage great go ahead but I don't think we should shame people who are earlier on in their journeys of really realizing you know what they should and shouldn't be buying and what quantities etc etc I think that it's it's kind of like a diet it's inevitable that you're going to fall off if you go into it like all guns got all guns blazing and say I'm never going to consume anything again and like all of this and then kind of hate yourself to buying something for some buying something from Zara and then just buying everything from there because you've done it now and like all of this it's not it doesn't work like that we know it doesn't work like that we know you can vote with your money on um, buying better and I think that what I that kind of brings me on to in terms of the the kind of business side is that 
as I say, there is never, ever, 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 ever going to be a perfect solution, especially in anything that is consumerist. Yeah. So you're talking about bath bombs. There's never going to be a bath bomb that's more sustainable than not buying a bath bomb. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the long and short of it. Same with if you want to buy a new blazer, same with if you were like, whatever it might be. But I fundamentally believe that you cannot change the mass market without creating options that are better. Now, they might be better now and in five years we'll think that's not even good enough. Great, that means we've moved in the right direction. But I don't think you can tell the majority of people just never buy anything again and they'll change. I think you have to create options that still feel appealing but are steps in the right direction in the same way as if you wanted to kind of go vegetarian because you know you thought it was something you should be doing for the environment or for yourself or whatever it might be just telling someone like you can never you can never eat meat ever again is going to terrify them whereas if you say like you know i'm i'm not going to eat red meat but i'm going to eat white meat or whatever it might be like whatever is works for you i think starts to create a little bit more of an open environment where you feel like change is possible but not terrifying and I feel like so much of sustainability and there are so many people doing fantastic fantastic things in sustainability and um, I like hugely look up to a lot of people in the space um, I think that a lot of it can feel quite terrifying as someone wanting to take a first step and I think that you know I for example I used to have contracts with huge fast fashion brands and there was one day that I just thought you know what I can't like I can't do this anymore and I cu cut those contracts and I moved on from it um, and I got far more comments after that point about things I did that were less sustainable than before that point because I'd instantly started talking about the fact that I was interested in it yeah. so you, you you open yourself up sure. to it's the same as it like if you've told your friends you're going to be a vegetarian and then they see you having a chicken nugget yeah. and they like yeah. lay into you whereas they never would have laid yeah. into you for it before it's kind of like it's it is such a minefield but I think it on, yeah, yeah I think it can feel a little bit terrifying and I thankfully am, am someone who you know I, I know what I want and I know yeah. what I want to um, you know I know who I what, what matters and yeah exactly yeah. that um, but I think that a lot of people I think you know what we look at influencers for example I think there are so many more influencers who would stop posting about fast fashion if they didn't think it was a terrifying space yeah. that they would be held to a standard that they didn't set for themselves yeah. and I think that becomes really really problematic and difficult and I you know I think there's so much change to be done before we even get to the point of having this conversation a bit about being like should we be kinder I think there's so much work to be done in like you know what like people who do cause like a huge amount of overconsumption based on that type of stuff like yeah we probably should have that conversation and maybe it should be a little bit terrifying but I do think you know from a consumer point of view um, and from a business point of view small transparent steps I think are really 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 important and I think as a business it's always going to be so terrifying because you are and should be held to a standard but I think that the majority of businesses don't even talk about it and I promise you they get less shit than some of the companies yeah. that do talk about sustainability yeah. because they don't claim to care. Yeah, I can, I'm obviously not going to name them, but like you kind of know in your head like certain ones that just, just they don't even pretend they to be different yeah, in a like, way. Yeah, you know? It's like exactly. they're unashamedly feels, like. Yeah. But also, which is easier to. Yeah. It, it doesn't open any like difficult, like difficult complexities in our head that we're like. Because I don't know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. There. Which, you know, yeah. there is one argument for saying like kudos to them, but not really kudos no, 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 like no, if you're course. causing, you know, like. The only kudos is like making it a black and white conversation rather than making it a complex conversation, yeah. which social media is famously inept at, like having conversations that are anything less than black and white. Like we can't really talk about nuances on social media. Um, but yeah, I would just say in terms of like 
individuals work out what is possible for you and your yeah. lifestyle. So it might be as it might be something like eating seasonal fruit and veg, which actually is a lot cheaper. And therefore, you know, you're likely to be far more sustainable than the person who's down the street buying 120 pound leggings yeah. that are made out of seeds yeah. because you, you know, because you actually don't you consume less. Like it's about what works for you. It might be about flying less. It might be about consuming less in terms of clothes. It might be about not shopping from those fast fashion companies, or it might be, you know, eating less red meat, whatever it might be. Like there's going to be a different thing for everyone. And I think that as soon as we start looking at it, at, you know, if you're further along in your journey and you're comfortable with many more advanced things, that's great. But I also think it is really, really, really important to open up the floor to what we don't need is one person doing it perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. Yeah. And I think that that's really important in terms of the conversation. And so, yeah, that's kind of my, you know, my, my viewpoint on it. And I think especially when it comes to social media, I think that the more we can do to make making better choices easier. So in terms of your work with Tala, how have you found that balance because ultimately a lot of time being more sustainable often means more cost it yeah. is more expensive yeah yeah, yeah of course so how do you stay competitive and how do we create a market where you've got these massive companies can churn out t-shirts at fractional costs yeah uh, and also in like compete? five days from design to like sure you know these go, big yeah. big companies who see a trend online they can do it five days from design to market so they know you'll they'll get that your money Jesus. yeah there's one big company that can do that who i would rather not name because i don't want to get sued yeah, yeah, um but i uh, but on top of that there's you know there's obviously as you've said there's a huge amount of issues there are there's 250 million garment workers w women garment workers worldwide who are working in essentially terrible conditions um and i think that there's something that needs to be done but I will not say it's the easiest industry to do it in. Fashion is an industry that is both inherently unsustainable and therefore you're getting yourself into a real minefield when talking about anything sustainability um, but also is there are so many barriers to entry because the big companies I promise you they can do whatever you're doing but they can do it far cheaper they can do it um, easier they can do it better they can do it whatever it might be. Um, so for us it's really been about like what are we really good at and how can we do that in a way where the customer is willing to not pay more because we pride yeah. ourselves in you know we're not we're not a Being cheap brand but we are yeah. very much competitive to you know we're we're a lot cheaper than some of the activewear brands i yeah, used to yeah, buy yeah. before um before i kind of started tala um but we are you know we make sure we concentrate on those things and i personally believe really good product will trump everything yeah. so that's from everything from the recycled content to the natural fibers to the sweat wicking properties to how flattering it is etc etc i'm sure there are people who buy tala who don't, who don't actually care but we we make sure our clothes like from the second we're in that fitting room from the second we've worked out what fabric it's going to be and what all of the sustainability touch points are going to be our main concentration is then how is it going how is this going to make the person that we that tries it on feel like the best they've ever felt in activewear and that is one of our biggest biggest strengths so i think that once you start creating you know we're in that kind of middle ground where we're not super expensive at all but there might be someone who's used to spending 30 pounds on some leggings yeah. come to us and spend 42 pounds or 54 pounds or which are dependent on the legging they're buying but i 
the great once you really really concentrate on how great your product is and how long lasting it is because that's very important as well and how great it makes you feel and look etc etc you know those pieces in your wardrobe that you just grab again and again and again like if in doubt like grab them we essentially really really concentrate on that so that we know that you know it might be your first time spending yeah. a little bit more like 10 10 15 pounds more but there's a reason we um, have the amount of repeat customers we yeah. have. Like we, it's kind of like in, in my, even in my wardrobe now, as I've got older, and I know this is fortunate as well because you know I've got I can afford to do so, or whatever. But I generally focus on buying less stuff and buying but better quality. quality yeah. What I find is that like you know if I buy a good pair of trousers that are a bit more expensive but have the quality and all those kind of things, they last not just yeah. twice as long, but maybe three, four, five times, yeah, yeah, or yeah. many years. And I think know? lots of people will find that actually the products that they bought that are trend led the next year and i'm not saying you know we don't just make sure we're doing only timeless pieces we yeah. do do pretty timeless colors to make yeah. sure that it's going to um be you know not necessarily yeah. completely trend-led but actually able to wear from season to season but i reckon those things that you bought impulsively yeah. you don't like next season whereas those things that are your really good quality basics or you know those jeans that yeah. you love or whatever it might be that you've literally worn for five years and you should probably get a new pair of you should be aiming for every piece of clothing like they're not always the most expensive yeah. you should be aiming for almost every piece of clothing that you get to be potentially one of those pieces and i think you know when you're making a purchase that's like you know what's gonna last what isn't yeah, like, I've, got, exactly. I've, got, I've got like chelsea boots that i've had for like years and they look as good if not better because they've worn in and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that than when you first bought them and, mm. and even coats and stuff like that mm. like that have just lasted such a long time the important thing is showing people that that can be done yeah. for a price that's not eye-watering. Because people do, and you can understand as you look at, yeah, obviously there's extremes, and I'm talking like within the realms of like what most people would buy. You can spend like 10 grand on a jacket and never do that in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's literally like no chance. But like, you know, it, it, it's when you're looking at something that's like 50 quid and you go like, that jacket's 50 quid, that's 100 yeah. quid. Well, and the first thing you're like, oh my God, that's twice as expensive. And you know, yeah. like, I guess maybe if you don't have to buy it as often, it lasts longer. Yeah. Like and over I the long term, you save. We, we understand, for example, that you know our customers probably not going to spend even 50 pounds on a t-shirt yeah. like as in it, it might be a really good quality yeah. t-shirt that's going to be the white t-shirt yeah. that they're going to wear again and again yeah. but then not going to spend it our t-shirts you know are good quality basics that are double layered that you know you can clearly see the difference between them and mm. fast fashion that essentially like the way they make mm. you feel the way they fit etc they're 28 pounds like we're not you know you sure you might be able to get a fast fashion version for 12 pounds mm. but i promise you the threads are going to start to come off that in a few weeks you're you're going to have to wear something pretty like pretty like good underneath it because you're going to be able to see, see straight through it etc etc like there's all of these different things that actually we almost want customers to just like shift slightly like we're not asking for a you know paying double we're asking like you know if in some circumstances the same price in some circumstances 10 pounds more and like look how this yeah. makes you feel because also when you're doing it with the types of fabrics that we're doing it with and the factories we're working with you know the types of people we work yeah. with in terms of making the clothes designing the clothes the fabrics etc etc because they have to be better materials and because they're far more expensive materials they're also just that much better like yeah. they're you know lots of the clothes in the factories that we're creating uh, that we're creating our clothes in are literally sold for i'm not yeah. even kidding 10 times the price yeah. um so we're you know we want someone to try tala and yeah. see why yeah. the hype is there. Well, I there. think if people are coming back, it's a good sign. Look, uh, you've survived the storm. It has been ridiculous weather, so I really <laughs> appreciate uh, your time. I just want to give, you're known as, a, as, a, as someone who's 
incredible for productivity. Um, and uh, you talk about your, like the box theory, I think that's right. Saying, could you just uh, give a final tip to go? So for people who are um, chaotic like me and not very good at planning, would you give one tip for people? To, how do you start your plan? Aside from ordering one or joining the waiting list to your planners or 70,000 waiting list, one tip you can give people to start being a bit more a bit better with the productivity and particularly in, in terms of planning yeah so i mean the reason those planners even took off in the way they did with the fact that they are based on this one method um which is called aptly the productivity method um and essentially i believe in i believe that a to-do list is terrifying especially if you are someone who gets overwhelmed easily or especially also if you are if you might have adhd if you have something that makes it harder to concentrate on lots of things at once um or too easy to concentrate on lots of things at once so you kind of um centralize away from the things that you're meant to be doing um splitting a to-do list into quick ticks so things that take you under five minutes tasks things that take five to thirty minutes and projects things that are usually made up of a few tasks that are 30 minutes plus essentially never writing down a to-do list as a list and always writing it in that three essentially in one of those three and then every single day choosing three things that you absolutely have to get done to make that day a success so one day there might be you know sending a certain email another day they might be handing in like a huge project whatever it might be but realistically i think a lot of us get overwhelmed at the fact that we have so many things to do that we don't even get three of the most important mm. things done yeah. and just every single day three things it might be on a more relaxing day and your three mm. things are going and getting your nails done or like whatever but Stopping thinking it needs to be a hundred things yeah. and starting thinking it needs to be three things I think is incredibly important. Those non-negotiables and the splitting your to-do list up. Never write a to-do list again. That's a brilliant like, bit of advice. Really, really bite important. size almost, bite size. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast. It thank you. It down. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Guys, I know this episode's been a bit different. Look, you know, with the Stompcast, we, we genuinely get out there in all conditions and do our best to record. It takes us around the country, exposes us to all kinds of weather, even storms that we've experienced today. And I'm really grateful to Grace for, for still making it and, and us having the conversation. I know we haven't done our health fact of the week, but uh, I hope you appreciate that we got out there and got stuck in and had a really great conversation. It was, it was really fascinating to hear from Grace. She's a really, uh, you know, she's an interesting and amazing and driven uh, woman who's trying to, you know, make a change and making a, a life for herself, but also I think paving a path out there. And uh, I know other women are, are doing similarly. So it's really inspiring. And I mean, I'm I'm really left with that fact: one percent of funding going to to women in business. It's just it's just it's just shocking. It's not good enough. It needs to change. And uh, you know, people like Grace are, are you know are leading the way on that. I think we can all play our role. So thank you so much, guys. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. I know it's a bit different, but I hope you do just appreciate we we do our very best. We, we you know we're doing our best. Uh, a reminder again. Uh, uh, to get a copy of the Mind Manual if you haven't already. There's so much in there that I think can really help you. And of course, check out uh, Tala, check out the planners and things that, uh, that Grace has as well, of course, on her social media. Anyway, guys, hope you've enjoyed the episode. Take care and goodbye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 